Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part four of our lecture series on the kidneys. And I left off last time with uh, mentioning renal venous anatomy, and so let's start there. Uh, we all know renal venous anatomy is very variable. Multiple renal veins are seen in about 28% of patients with retroaortic renal veins in about 3% and circumaortic renal veins in about 17% of patients. Um, the left renal vein is the longer vein, no great surprise, about 7.5 centimeters, and the right is shorter, and that's one of the reasons the left kidney is used in uh, donor nephrectomy because you have a nice long renal vein to play with. The most common left renal venous variation is this circumaortic renal vein. Uh, if you talk about uh, variations beyond simply having multiple renal veins, um, it's important to recognize these variations for a number of reasons. Again, some might be laparoscopic surgery. Another reason might be sometimes an unopacified vein can simulate a node. I've seen uh, vessels thought to be tumors, and then they get biopsied. So there's many possible. Uh, potential pitfalls. Now let's look carefully at some of the anatomy. Here's a great case where we have good opacification of the entire venous system. You can see very nicely the hepatic veins in this case and then the renal veins. And This shows you very nicely the left renal vein being longer. The adrenal vein comes off the left renal vein a few centimeters to the left of midline. The right renal vein is shorter often an acute angle and so sometimes it's hard to ascertain in cases of renal vein involvement or suspected involvement by tumor is the vein compressed or involved but again uh, in a 3D map you can open this up nicely and whether we look at volume rendering with or without high opacity you get very nice visualizations of the venous anatomy so now let's look at some other examples of this here's a very classic left renal vein normal appearance classic pre-aortic position very nicely shown there is some variation in the size of the renal vein not just in the length but also in the width sometimes the renal veins can get very large this case is a normal but look at this next one look how large the renal vein is you also see a lot of collateral so there's no great surprise this patient has cirrhosis and portal hypertension and what you're seeing is splenal renal shunting that's one of the uh, collateral pathways and you very nicely see this dilated renal vein. You see it on the MPR views. And then you see it when we go to the 3D views as well. So you want to be very careful. Don't confuse this with renal pathology. Uh, Splenal renal shunting, occasionally I've seen reports of hematuria. Most of the time, it's simply part of the process of portal hypertension. In terms of retroaortic renal veins, nicely shown on 3D mapping. Beautiful example in this case. And in this case, you can see the uh, circumaortic renal vein where the upper portion of the vein in a classic location is pre-aortic. And you can see this, the retroaortic component really almost goes behind the left common iliac vein. So one of the things to remember, and this is important with laparoscopic surgery as well, is that when you have uh, circumaortic renal veins, the retroaortic component is often a great distance from the pre-aortic component. And this can be problematic, especially in a case like this and would make this patient, in this case, uh, not able to be a potential renal donor. And here's one more example in a patient who's had extensive hepatic surgery, but a good example of a circumaortic left renal vein with the great distance between the two veins very nicely shown in that regard. Here's that same case using MIP imaging. Again, making the point, which I'll emphasize in a moment, about the importance of using volume rendering and not MIP when you're trying to localize things in three dimensions. 
With MIP, you can make tremendous errors depending on the opacity of the structure. Orientation seems to depend on opacity, not on true anatomy in many cases, particularly when it's arterial phase imaging. Now there are many variations in renal venous anatomy. Here's a complicated one. Duplicated left renal veins which then merge with then extend retroaortic. Here's an example of a prominent gonadal veins. Gonadal veins are very variable in size. Most of the time in a prominent gonadal vein is of no clinical significance. There's lots of variations. You can get varices. Patients can get pelvic pain due to dilated gonadal veins. We occasionally can see gonadal vein thrombosis. Not uncommon uh, in postpartum patients. You also can see it with diverticulitis or appendicitis or even Crohn's disease. Anything inflammatory that involves the region of the gonadal vein can cause thrombosis of the gonadal vein. That can cause fever. That can cause abdominal pain as well. And here's just nice examples of bilateral prominent gonadal veins. When I see prominent gonadal veins bilaterally, I see this collaterals, then I'm thinking about pelvic congestion syndrome. Now people have looked at pelvic congestion syndrome or suspected pelvic congestion syndrome and determined, is it really a syndrome or is it just variations? Um, it's a good question. You can see prominent veins can be problematic and there are a couple articles that have reached different results. Here was an article looking at um, incompetent dilated ovarian veins in asymptomatic women. Uh, as an isolated finding was felt, it was unlikely to be associated with pelvic congestion syndrome. Another article looked at uh, these in patients who were renal donors and said, well, gee, uh, let's go back and ask patients after they've given their kidney, perhaps since the gonadal vein was taken or occluded, um, would they have relief in symptoms? And this study found that about 10% uh, prevalence of ovarian varices in the general population and that half or over half the patients with ovarian varices had pelvic congestion syndrome and that most, about three quarters, benefited from ovarian vein embolization ligation. And this was one series, again, it's controversial, but it's just something to think about. And I don't have any great wisdom on that for you. Now, in terms of the renal vein, there are many things that can happen. You can get renal vein thrombosis. There are more than a dozen causes of things that cause renal vein thrombosis, whether it's nephrotic syndrome or collagen vascular disease, whether it's sepsis or postpartum or a direct extension by tumor. These are all indeed possibilities. Now, in terms of what do you see on a CT scan? We typically talk about renal vein thrombosis as acute and chronic. With acute RVT, we see thrombus within a dilated vein. This thrombus may extend into the IVC, and that's especially true if it's tumor thrombus. The kidney is enlarged, often edematous, this thickening of gerotis fascia. You may see collaterals around the kidney, and that's particularly true more in chronic renal vein thrombosis or in a patient with both acute and chronic RVT. And we do see abnormal renal enhancement. Typically, besides the kidney being larger, the cortical medullary differentiation persists over time. You get delayed or persistent parenchymal enhancement, and you may have delayed or non-visualization of the collecting system with delayed excretion of contrast material. In other cases, you may see partial uh, renal vein thrombosis, as in this case, and in those situations, the renal function may not change all that much, but these patients need to be treated aggressively in most cases. If not, they can indeed develop uh, full bone renal vein thrombosis with occlusion and significant changes in the kidney. 
I mentioned one of the more common causes of renal vein thrombosis that we evaluate is patients with renal cell carcinoma. CT is nearly 100% accurate for renal vein thrombosis. You look at these articles quoted, sensitivity 85%, accuracy 96%, but that was at four slice or less. At 64 slice with good reconstructions, good timing, we should be essentially at 100%. And here's some nice schematics showing your renal carcinoma into renal vein and from renal vein into IVC. So it's things we need to look at. So here's some good examples. Large renal cell carcinoma, thrombus in the renal vein extending into IVC, but you can see that the vessel is not occluded. Now, could this be bland thrombus? That's a possibility. This is a very vascular tumor. When you see thrombus or tumor extension from a vascular tumor, usually the thrombus is very vascular. But that's a tough call. This patient will be treated as if they have IVC thrombus. And you can see that indeed very nicely as I go through the sequence of images. There is extension proximally of the hypervascular lesion. And then there's more filling defects within the renal vein and the IVC. Very nicely shown on the sequence of images. And same patient, late phase imaging, you can see the renal vein thrombosis nicely. Now, we typically like to say that 60 seconds is the best time or 70 seconds for venous thrombosis. You get around flow-related changes and you're not too early where you can get a false positive. But I will say that in other cases, early phase imaging, as this one, uh, can be very helpful. Another case, look at the right kidney. Look at that abnormal enhancement. Poor differentiation of cortex and medulla. If you look carefully, the patient has thrombus in the renal vein extending to IVC on those axial images. You can see in the coronal display the thrombus going up into the IVC. Now again, you may ask how much of this is flow related, how much is truly thrombus. When you get later phase and the IVC, as in this example, is very nicely opacified, there's no problem. Flip side, look at this case hypervascular renal cell, hypervascular tumor extension into renal vein, up into IVC, up into right atrium. It's very important that we look all the way through the mid-chest. You want to know how far the thrombus extends. Is it into the IVC within the liver or not? If it's IVC liver, does it go IVC right atrium? How high does it go? That will affect the, the uh, approach surgically in this patient. But again, very nice visualization in this case. Another example, um, look at the left renal vein, look at the left kidney, and what you see is the left kidney is a bit large, but look by the left renal vein and left renal hilum. See those collaterals? That's a case of a patient with chronic renal vein thrombosis. The left renal vein is very tiny, that's often a sequela of venous occlusion, and now we see extensive collaterals. So it's something you wanna look at very carefully. Here's a few more images. And that's something that brings us into the realm of speaking not about acute renal vein thrombosis alone, but about chronic renal vein thrombosis. Chronic renal vein thrombosis, you see a number of findings. This is a beautiful example. Look at all of these collaterals, all these uh, vessels and thickening around the ureter. You get these periureteral cobwebs. Uh, it simulates transitional cell carcinoma, thickening of the ureter with tumor or inflammation but it's simply collateral vessels that are nicely seen on venous phase imaging. And you can see them as I run through these sets of images. Just a very, very nice diagnosis. So when you look at chronic renal vein thrombosis, typical findings is a patient with nephrotic syndrome, 
proteinuria and GFR will vary. You can also see uh, concurrent PE. Typically, patients have sterile pyuria, may have hematuria, hyperchloremic acidosis, decreased renal tubular threshold for glucose, explains uh, some of the increased glucose in the urine, and increased fibrin degradation products. In terms of the imaging findings, with chronic renal vein thrombosis, often the renal vein is hard to see because it's narrowed and occluded often, and the key thing are collaterals in the renal hilum and around the course of the ureter, and it's typically perirenal cobwebs, or what it's called. Nice example here again, look at the cobwebs along the course of the hilum and the patient's left ureter. The renal vein, as visualized, is small. You see some of the cobwebs going near the kidney. So just a very, very nice visualization of this process, and it's a home run diagnosis. These patients will be treated with anticoagulant therapy, but it's something very easy to visualize. And the key thing probably in this case is not to confuse it with a tumor. That would be the biggest potential mistake you could do. So that kind of covers the renal veins. We've covered the renal arteries. What else should we do? Well, I said there's a fifth part, and in that fifth part, we're gonna look at CT urography. So why don't we stop there, and let's take a coffee break, Let's get a couple snacks, and let's come back with CT urography. Thanks very much.